Looks like they're coming for Joe Rogan. No. No, 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 no. Think again. They're not coming for Joe Rogan. They're coming for you. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Joe Rogan went to Facebook to issue an apology. I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about. And look, I'll say it again. Rogan needs nothing from me. He is the most successful podcaster in the world. He probably has the single biggest media audience in the world at this point. And we're just starting out. God's been so good to us. You've been so good to us. The program has grown 64%. No, was it? Was it that really? I think it was 64% month over month growth because of, of God and this audience. So we're just getting started. Rogan is, the, well, he's the king of podcasting. They're not coming from Rogan. I know it's 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 almost it's it's almost tempting to think they're coming for Rogan, but they're not. And we'll get to more about Joe Rogan's statement. They're coming for you. Rogan, as Trump was, is in the way of the party. Now it's not like I mean Rogan may may be a, a he is a threat in terms of narrative creation. He is a threat in terms of uh, the media's ability to engage in the propaganda of silence. That's that's a big one because the media's propaganda of silence is so effective on the, for instance, the election integrity front. Dinesh D'Souza's movie's coming out, 2000 Mules. That's going to get no coverage. The media, aside from the Time Magazine article, spent absolutely no time talking about why people feel that the election was, well, it, it was rigged. That's a fact. Molly Hemingway is right about this. The election was rigged. Was it stolen? Well, rigging an election is an attempt to steal one, but they wouldn't even spend any time talking about the reasons that people have this assessment. I assess the, the election to have been absolutely rigged. I think it's in, it's the, the facts are incontrovertible that it was rigged. Now, did that equal stealing it? Right, that's that's the question, but that's the propaganda of silence. Now, Rogan didn't go out and talk about election integrity, as I understand it, but but he has the capacity to do that to a large group of people. But even that's not really the target. Really, you're still the target. So here's Rogan's the, the part of Rogan's apology, and he did this um, on his own volition, I assume. I mean, he's his own boss. He's, he's got enough money that he doesn't need to work anymore. And maybe that's a good thing that he continues to work. It says something about him. Here he is, part of a statement on his Facebook page. I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. There's a video that's out that's a compilation of me saying the N-word. It's a video that's made of clips taken out of context of me of... 12 years of conversations on my podcast and it's all smushed together and it looked even to me. Now, I know that to most people, there is no context where a white person 
is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that now. I haven't said it in years, but for a long time, when I would bring that word up, like if it would come up in conversation and stay, instead of saying the N word, I would just say the word. I thought as long as it was in context, people would understand what I was doing. Like that context was part of the clip we were talking about Red Fox, how Red Fox said that word on television in the 1970s and how times have changed so much since then. Or about how Richard Pryor used it as one of the titles of one of his albums or I was quoting a Lenny Bruce bit, or I was quoting a Paul Mooney bit, or a, I was talking about how Quentin Tarantino used it repeatedly in Pulp Fiction, or I was talking about how a Netflix executive, ironically, used it because he was trying to compare it to another offensive word, and he said it out loud, and they fired him. Not calling anybody or just saying the word out loud. I was also talking about how there's not another word like it in the entire English language because it's a word where only one group of people is allowed to use it and they can use it in so many different ways. Like if a white person says that word, it's racist and toxic, but a black person can use it and it could be a punchline, it could be a term of endearment, it could be lyrics to a rap song, it could be a positive affirmation. It's a very unusual word. So Rogan makes that statement. And if you listen to the context and no, I, is anyone fooled that anybody cares about Rogan saying the, the N word 12 years ago? It, no, is anybody clearly, this is a hit. Clearly they intend to see Rogan kicked off the Spotify platform. It's not like he's going to not go out and rebuild the audience. Uh, Rumble would mortgage the world to get him over there to their platform exclusively. Bit shoots, others would mortgage mortgage the world for you know their financial world to get Rogan over there because they'd make their money back. Because if he's canceled from Spotify, he's going to have twice the audience. But it's it's this that they're after. See, Rogan needs to be saying what this dean, this ridiculous dean of a law school, and I'll tell you where the law school is in a second in her name. But this is just a tiny little clip of what, what, what Rogan is supposed to be saying. Then this is what the party wants you to say. This is not about Joe Rogan. It's about the free flow of information. It's about us being forced to use their language. And we cannot give in to using the language of the enemy. In fact, this has already happened to a great degree. The moment... These injections got labeled vaccines. It was an inexorable fact that they were going to push for so-called vaccine passports. They never should have been labeled vaccines because they never qualified as such ever. But the moment you put that word on something, I've talked about this before, that's a magic word. Because people have been conditioned to believe that when it's a vaccine, no one's making any money. This is charity. Pfizer, our dear good friends, are doing this because Pfizer doesn't want you to die. Well, they don't. They want you to live a good long time so that they can stick you full of psychotropics and every other thing. But people are conditioned around this word that it's sacrosanct and that only only crazy people, crazy nuts would ever not take an injection if it's labeled vaccine. Forget the fact that people are allergic to some of the treatments or some of the ingredients of even even the egg grown vaccines. There's people who are allergic to those. 
And of course, the longstanding objection to using aborted fetal cells. This is about forcing us to say what this ridiculous dean says in this quick statement. My name is Elizabeth Cronk Warner, and I'm a racist. Um, and I think that's an important place to start from. Um, and I love his vision of a place where we can all acknowledge that because we've all grown up and been socialized in the United States. And so we have racism implicit in all of our systems. Yeah, except except for me. Apparently, just just me. I was. Uh, it seems that I'm the only guy who had both white parents who abhorred racism and taught us from the moment we were born. You will never judge a human being by their skin color. And the the only only times, I mean, very very few times, I saw my father in in uh, I'd say external anger. He was really angry at himself. He 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 hated himself. So a lot of internal anger that turns into depression. But we were fishing and we went out to uh, hire a boat and we were with my father and his, his one time best friends and their friends who was a black guy. And we got up to hire this boat and this guy said, uh, and there was, there was me, I was there. And the guy said, okay, so two adults and one kid. And my dad said, no, there's three of us. He goes, yeah, right. Like I said, and he looked, he looked over at Glenn, was the gentleman's name, looked at Glenn and said, yeah, that's what I said. Two adults, one child on my boat. My dad said, no, it's, it's three of us. He goes, not on my boat. And my dad uh, turned back for a second and then grabbed the guy's throat and pushed him down on the deck and put his head underwater for just a little while, just a little bit. Until Jerry pulled him off. So, no, actually, I'm not racist. And this is the big trap, right? This is what the media is after. This is what the party is after. Because when they put that label on you, you are utterly delegitimized. In every capacity. And we can test the theory. And we'll do that in a second. If, if I'm right. We don't use the language of the enemy. We do not use the phrase whiteness ever. If you're ever in a work situation and you are ever, she's here talking about the work of a, of, a, of a race hustle author. If you're ever in a work situation and you are ever told to discuss whiteness, you have three choices. One, be a racist by admitting whiteness exists. Number two, be a racist by saying it doesn't exist. That's, that's the dynamic they've set up. Or number three, force them into the, their equilibrium. They're claiming that the presence in the presence of the DNA of some people resides the racist gene. So you can be the Socratic inquirer and force them to live within their equilibrium but do not speak their language. So in a, in a situation like that, here would be my question. Yes, I do have a question about this theory that you're espousing, this theory of what you call whiteness. And my question is this, have you isolated the gene in the genome of people who you identify as white that leads to this racism? 
And the answer is going to be somewhere along the lines of, it's, this isn't about genes, this is about culture, this is about the prevailing culture. Then you say, got it. So in cultures that are prevalently black, then have you worked yet on the theory of blackness and or isolated that gene in, 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 in uh, cultures that are predominantly Asian, such as China? Have you worked then on, on Asian-ness or Chinese-ness and isolated that gene? Always be asking the question. Never accept the terms of the enemy. Never accept their language. That's how you get backed into corners. That's how you lose an argument before the argument begins. And the party is brilliant at this. They have whole teams of people who are trained to go into public meetings and and they're operatives. And they'll do this on things like light rail extension, which in and of itself, right there, right? I just used the language of the enemy. It's not light rail. They're trains. They're choo-choo trains. But you say light rail, and that's a branding word. It's a branding phrase. And it's you're thought to mean, oh, oh, yes, very modern. It's a modern thing. No, these are choo-choo trains. But they'll go into these meetings and these these activists, operatives, are there to drive the discussion. It's an amazing thing. If you're ever in a public meeting and they, they break you into small groups and they say, we've already, we've already, um, some people have already volunteered to be table leaders. You're to set up. Stop that. Say, oh, wait, we're going to go ahead and vote for our own leader at our table. Thanks. Oh, well, we've already gone through and there's people who are very experienced at this. No, no, thanks. No, thanks. We're a Republican democracy. We're going to be voting for our table leaders. You'll know by the looks on their face that they know that you've outed them. So Rogan is not the problem. They would like him to adopt the language of the enemy. They would like him to help with narrative control. They don't like the fact that he can disrupt the propaganda of silence. But what they really don't like is to this day, you are free to speak your mind. They can't stand when we can speak our own minds. So let's test the theory. Howard Stern is a big believer in the mRNA injections and the AAN and DNA injections. And he thinks that people who do not take the injections should be drummed out of polite society. Stern is in favor, as I understand it, of the injection diktats and worse. So Howard Stern, did he ever use the N-word? Well, I happen to know that he did. In fact, a couple of the people who are going after Rogan use the N-word a whole bunch. We'll get, to, we'll get here to Stern in a second. Don Winslow is an author, and a whole bunch of his books are, are, are um, affirmed by or promoted by Stephen King. So Stephen King writes a lot of jacket cover statements about this guy, Don Winslow. So Don Winslow wrote to The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Dear The Rock, you're a hero to many people and using your platform to defend Joe Rogan, a guy that used the, uh, used and laughed about using the N-word dozens of times is a terrible use of your power. Have you actually listened to this man's many racist statements about black people? So that's Don Winslow, the social justice warrior, white man defending his black brothers and sisters because that's who he is. Here's Don Winslow, the author. Here's his book, The Force, a novel 
Here's Stephen King with a jacket thing. Let's see. This is one page, and he says here, this is a quoting a, a character. Malone kept his gun aimed at him and said, the blank, do I care, you kill her. Just another N-word baby to me. Further down the page, Malone got called into a meeting with then-captain uh, IAB in a PR flack from one police, uh, one police pause, near pause, who asked, N-word baby? Next, same, I think this is, now, what is it? A two of 16. This is the second page. What, was that the first page of the novel? Yes, one of 16. I don't know if it's the first page, but one of 16. Now we're in two of 16. This is like the fourth paragraph down. Malone kept his gun. Oh, oh it's the same one. Same one. Oh, the clip ran on YouTube and a local rap group cut a song called Just Another N-Word Baby. That's one book, and that's one part of the book in this guy, Vocal Distance. This is in the show notes at Substack. You can have this for your friends. This is the guy who wants Rogan canceled. Here we are with another instance in the book. So you feel for the old lady victim, but hate the, the mutt who did it. You sympathize with the store owner who just got robbed, but despise the mope who robbed him. You feel bad for the black kid who got shot, but hate the N-word who shot him. He goes on through probably 60 examples of Don Winslow using the N-word, a white dude using the N-word, putting it in the mouths of white people. Now, you could say, wait, Herman, he's writing dialogue. He's reflecting the way that he sees the New York police force. Fine. Joe Rogan was having contextual discussions about the dynamic of the N-word. Now, Rogan did make a joke. And it's a pretty bad joke about he was a white person in the city of Chicago. Or was it? I think it was Chicago. Well, he got dropped off in some area of Chicago where he was like one of the, the sole white people. By the way, if you've never had that experience, and I did when I was, um, when I dropped out of college, I lived in, um, first of all, my, my brother Matthew's home. His family took me in and I stayed there for a little while. Then I got a place in, I was one of two white people in a 20 block region. And living there. If you've never done that, you should do that. Everybody should be in a different culture. Because I started with, wow, black people are different. And then I got to, no, black people aren't different. What's different is poverty because it was a poor area. What's different is being surrounded by crime because crime changes your behaviors. Because when I met wealthy black people through that experience, they were a lot like my wealthy friends. And when I met poor white people through my work, because I worked around a lot of poor white people, they had the same attitudes and often the same actions as a lot of my black neighbors. And what I determined about my black neighbors was the parents love their kids. The grandparents love their kids. Even the criminal kids love mom and dad. So it was much more similar than it was apart. But Joe Rogan made a really horrible joke about being dropped off in a black neighborhood. We'll talk about that. Then you'll hear another example, just proving my point that this isn't about Joe Rogan. It's about getting to you because we'll use the case study of one Howard Stern to prove that point. You know, it's just like this. I mean, here we are going through the news on a Monday morning, and it's just this way. There's always a headline. And we're just talking about Stern, in my knowledge, backing the injection diktats, forcing people to get shot up. There's a lot of companies that have been doing that.
And these diktats have a lot of people thinking about early retirement. Now, when I say that early retirement, does that cause a fear in your gut? Or does the word retirement cause you to feel fear? Maybe not fear, maybe anxiousness, worry. Well, particularly if you're looking at early retirement, because there's a lot of people who have been facing, look, get injected or leave. So Zach Abraham and Bower Capital know this is a huge, life-changing decision. Many people don't even know if they can retire or when they can retire. In fact, this happened in the separate country of Washington State. When Boeing decided to go full-on tyrannical and force people to get injected to keep their jobs, there were a lot of people who said, I want to get out. They wanted to use their velo early retirement, and, but they didn't know if they were able to retire. They contacted Zach, more than half of them, found out they could already retire. So the last thing you want in a time like this is to leave your portfolio vulnerable. That's why Bullard Capital emphasizes risk management. And so with Zach, my buddy, Zach Abraham, the CIO there, it's all about risk management. And Zach has the experience to guide you through the numbers, show you when it's your right time to retire. So do you want to know what the answer? Nothing's going to stop you from feeling anxious better than the answer. Just call Zach. Call right now, 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. Remember this, investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. So Zach does have a radio show, by the way, New York Risk Radio. It's a very, very good radio show. Howard Stern is one of the most successful talk show hosts in history. Um, I know a lot of people are disgusted by Stern. I find now that I'm a man in my 50s, I find a lot of the stuff that he did disgusting when I was much younger. I found some of it very funny. Not uh, having homeless people beat one another up, not his obsession with sex. I always found that super creepy. And frankly, he used to brag about, well, I've never cheated on my wife, Allison. I've never done that. I'm a married man. Well, their divorce have been for years. But yeah, I've never cheated on my wife, um, Allison, but I have strippers in the studio. They take their clothes off. They sit on my lap. They touch my hair. They put their body parts in my face. But I've never cheated on my wife, Allison. No, nah, I've never done that. So Stern is a big proponent of the injection diktats. He's a big friend of The View, which is now going to apparently fire Hoopy Goldberg. So here is Howard Stern denying that he ever used the N-word. And here is just one instance. Someone put this together on Twitter, by the way. The link is in the Substack notes. Make sure you retweet it. Give this person some love for putting this together. This is Stern. Starts with him on The View talking to, I think it's Sonny Hostin, about his show. And then one example of many where Stern, in fact, didn't just use the N-word. He's in, you'll hear him here acting as Ted Danson. He's in blackface, drinking a torpedo of what looks like old English. Ladies, and um, I, I found your show so offensive. Um, you used, thank you. Thank, I, that's what I figured, right? He was, you were shock jock. Shocking. You were shock jock. You used the N-word a lot. Um, you no, said, I really? Didn't, I, I yeah. used the N-word. Yeah, he did. Wait a second. Hold on. I do. I say that. It. Whoopi, wait, hold on. Wait, wait. Let, no, we let, had a I, guy on from the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Who very freely used the N-word. Yeah. And my belief was, hey, say it out in the open. Yes. And let, I didn't use the N-word. I didn't use the N-word. Let's be I'm, very I'm, clear. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, That's I'm, not I'm, my thing. Robin would have killed was, you. It was something that was, was batted around on your show. I, I'll rephrase no, I, it. I, I, I didn't use the N-word. I didn't use the N-word. In 
judges. Our next pair of judges couldn't be with us in the studio tonight. They're celebrating the new year from a secret location. Here they are, Hollywood's oddest couple, Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg, via satellite transmission. Uh, how are you doing there, Mrs. Robin Quibble? You know, Robin, Whoopi is a whole lot prettier after you drunk a couple of bottles of this here more liquor. <laughs> Drink on, honey. With every sip, you get better and better, baby. Yo, fish. Oh. I didn't write that. <laughs> Ted, I must say, that I can't believe you're still in blackface after the Friars Roast controversy. Oh, hush up. I hate blackface. I just can't get this shot. <laughs> Besides, Whoopi done wrote everything I'm going to say here tonight, so it's all right. Ain't that right, you smelling good? <laughs> Bleeped it as much as I could so that you could hear it. There's 50 instances of Howard Stern using the N-word in that single clip. 50 instances. This has nothing to do with Joe Rogan. It has to do with you. Rogan provides a service for which people are willing to pay, for which people are willing to devote hours of the time. His discussion with Dr. Robert Malone was three hours long. You can't do that. In traditional media, have a three-hour-long discussion. You can't air the detail that Rogan did. And since and my wife and I disagree about Rogan, I tend to believe that anybody who rises to that level is number one, incredibly hardworking. She agrees, incredibly hardworking, incredibly focused. And she points to his use of you know mushrooms and promotion of drugs as irresponsible. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. What I think is that Rogan is smart. And my wife is, oh, well, I think he's clever and he asks smart questions and people listen to Rogan for his guests. Yes. Okay, for the guests, because Rogan asks the questions that a lot of people have. The media does not ask these questions because they do not want to ask the questions that people have on their mind. When you can go through the COVID narrative and skewer it with one simple question, Dr. Fauci, how many children died of the flu last year or with or from it versus COVID this year? A simple question, you can have the answer in front of you. If he lies, you can call him on it. The media never did that. Rogan does. That's the problem. Because he asks the questions that disrupt the narrative, he is in their way to get to you because you're still allowed to ask these questions. So we do not use the language of the enemy. We do not talk about people who died from COVID. We talk about people who died with COVID or perhaps from it. We're very specific. This is another instance. <laughs> By the way, speaking of my wife, this is really funny. People send me these notes now. My wife was super excited. I was in bed. I go to sleep so early. Poor ladies. Husbands, I'm a, I'm a, honestly, I go to sleep at like 730 in the morning or at night. It's awful. 
It's all, we went out to dinner and I was up a little bit later. But my wife sent me a text and it's from Como. No, it's, no, it's from Creme 2 News. It's a Spokane news station. And here it is. The U.S. hit a grim new milestone Friday, but there are signs of COVID-19 on the decline from the Omicron surge. Surge! It's the grim milestone stuff. Every time there's a grim milestone, I get an email or a text from someone because we use the grim milestone character. But here's another instance of do not use the language of the enemy. This is how they got to where they were. This is how they got. This is why Rogan's a problem because he allows you to see through the narrative creation. Grim, and by the way, Grim has uh, has suffered really badly from a bad injection uh, interaction. So sometimes he might just not be himself. Grim, you okay? You okay? I'm Grim Milestone. The pandemic has caused huge changes to how children perceive schooling one another and has in fact led to a worldwide increase in suicide attempts by children. This because of the pan, 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 pan. Sorry, blue screened. Pandemic. No, it's not. Anytime you're in a conversation and someone says, well, the pandemic's had a huge, huge effect on on business or huge effect on school, you are duty bound to stop them and say, no, it hasn't. In fact, it's not had any effect. It was the government actions that had the effect. It's the government actions that led to the record level suicides. It's the government actions that have led to these kids being on these wild amounts of psychotropics. Never speak the language of the enemy. More examples, including Stacey Abrams, forced to apologize, kind of. I have the greatest picture, and they put this out, uh, Julie did, from the social team on the Todd Herman Show, the Todd E. Herman Show radio page on Twitter. And on some of our other social platforms, this is a picture of young Alan. And he is the inspiration for Alan's artisan soap. And he is in the process of working. And this got a huge number of retweets. He has a smile on his face. He's engaged in packing up soap. Now, we made a promise when we started the podcast and went independent. I said, we're going to be starting over and away. The audience is going to be smaller at first, thanks to you. That's correcting itself, thanks to God. But even with that, we intend to use this platform as an opportunity to help great businesses grow. Great businesses founded for the right reasons, but they have to have great products. Allen's Artisan Soaps is a great product. I use the soaps now exclusively my wife uses the soaps zach abraham has purchased the soaps for his office they're made with all natural ingredients in the united states of america here is the secret part of this though that john alan's dad okay it's alan's soaps named after alan john founded the business because he wanted his son to have the dignity of work so you clean yourself with soaps made in america with all natural ingredients packed up by alan who is profoundly affected by autism and some other health concerns. And he smiles and he works and he doesn't complain and he does his homework because that's how he's been raised. You get the soap, you get the quality, you get the sense, you get to have a story in your home. And people say, where'd you get that soap? Show them the picture of Alan. This is who we're supporting by way of purchasing his product. Now, John's vision is to be able to help everybody with autism, not with handouts, 
with work. And it starts with Allen's soaps. You use soap, use Allen's soaps. For every bar sold right now, one dollar will go to the Special Olympics, which is just another way to show these young people you you have some limits. Let's be honest, but they're limits you can blow past, around, under, through, over. That's what achievers do. Go to allensoaps.com. That's A-L-A-N-S soaps.com. It's really important. So Alan knows that we're doing our job that you use my name, Todd, as the, as the uh, secret word or checkout word or code word when you check out. Allensoaps.com. Use T-O-D-D. The language of the enemy is also the image of the enemy. And there's a lot of things that we can do and should be doing, particularly if you live in an area where they're still forcing kids to wear the stupid, idiotic face diapers. This is something that we need to start doing is just asking a question like a kid was asked a question. Stacey Abrams, who is about as loathsome a person as exists, even though she's black and should, of course, by that token, be um, completely virtuous because all black people are virtuous. Stacey Abrams was recently in, (laughs) she was recently in a classroom and there's a whole bunch of little kids behind her and you already know what it's going to be, right? Here's Stacey seated up front. She's got a whole bunch of kindergarten kids behind her and guess who's not wearing a woke mask? It's Stacey. Guess who's all wrapped up in face diapers? It's the students. So Stacey Abrams had to put out a statement about this because she got caught. So guess what she goes to? She goes immediately to racism. She goes immediately to, it's incredible that the Republicans and conservatives would use Black History Month as an opportunity to distract from the savage, no, you have a clean, clear face. You're breathing clean air. The students are not. This is our job is in these circumstances to not even accept the auspices of the party. Let's compare this to this, this, this university uh, dean, this university dean. Listen to her and I'll compare the Stacey Abrams thing to this. And I'll tell you where this dean is from. My name is Elizabeth Cronk Warner and I'm a racist. Um, and I think that's an important place to start from. Um, and I love his vision of a place where we can all acknowledge that because we've all grown up and been socialized in the United States. And so we have racism implicit in all of our systems. So that woman is from the university of Utah. Her name is Elizabeth Cronk Warner, as I think you heard, Dean and Professor of Law at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. Incidentally, she's proud of the fact, apparently, she's a member of the Salt Tribe of the Chippewa Indians. So, is she racist against other Native Americans or First Peoples? We need to ask these questions. In addition to not speaking the language of the enemy, we don't get to sit. We cannot sit and let them envelop us in their dynamic. So question for her. If you're racist, why aren't you resigning? What systems are racist? Tear them down today. You said racist systems. Tear them down. Name them. Be specific. And in the case of Stacey Abrams, in this dynamic where the adults don't wear woke masks, but the kids are wrapped up in woke masks, we are 
absolutely duty-bound to point this out and to say to her, why are your lungs more sacred than the kids? Why is your need for fresh air greater than the need of children to have fresh air? Why are you the special one who gets to breathe open air? Or more commonly, I act confused. I'll go into a place and sometimes I go to the separate country of Washington for some key reasons. I was over there this weekend. In fact, I had lunch. I had no breakfast with my, my, my sister's first ever serious boyfriend. His name is also Todd. And we were eating and there were some people who came in and masked. I try not to shame I, because look, I'm, I'm plenty shameable, but I do try to give a quizzical glance. Not mean. I try really hard to not be mean. But I, I really try to look at them like a, a little bit of astonishment, but friendly astonishment. Wow, they're wearing masks. When people send me a Facebook picture, someone tagged me in a note. It's a, it's someone tagged me in a note from the, the mayor of Spokane, Nadine Woodward, and she was promoting something about a local business and, and, oh, there's this local business. And I simply wrote, oh, you tagged me. Great, fair game. I just wrote and said, why are you wearing that stuff on your face? What is the point of wearing that stuff on your face? If we don't approach these things this way, we end up getting trapped in their dynamic. And, and the magic of seeing the dynamic broken is so powerful. We talked, um, we're going to talk later this week. We're going to talk about the matrix breaking open. In fact, that's tomorrow. Is that tomorrow? I get confused. I really, really get confused. No, 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 no. It's coming up. It's coming up. The next, the next podcast today talks about the crack in the matrix. So we have a moment in time right now where we've got a crack in the matrix with young people. And what what I mean is, is in the crack of the matrix is there are a lot of young people who are waking up to, wait a minute, you lied about masks. That's an opportunity for us to say to them, yes, they lied about injections. It's an opportunity for us to say something else. There's one other piece of language that I beg you to confront and take a pledge today. You will never again use this word, ever, ever use this word. Because with these young people waking up to the fact that the party has viciously lied to them, we have the opportunity to confront that ourselves. And to say to them with a teaching opportunity, yes, the party lied about this, but they lied about plenty of other things. Because when there's a crack in the matrix, we have got to walk through the cracks in the matrix. Let me give you this example. These are some native Canadians. And when I say native Canadians, I mean that they are, well, Indians. Some people like that phrase. And they are at the, at the trucker protest. And they are protesting. And they've got their signs. And they say, we're part of your, we are the, the fringe white majority. The two Indian freedom protesters in a message to Justin Trudeau, listen to this and know that they're having such fun in this like six degree weather. Listen to these guys. No, no more Bollywood dancing. dancing. Shame on you. Shame no on more you. Bollywood dancing. Look up Trudeau. Look at my boy say, we are your white fringe minority. Yeah. <laughs> I am the <laughs> white supremacist. I'm the white supremacist. Here I am. Here I am. Lock no up Trudeau. Lock it up. They're talking about him Bollywood dancing because guess what Justin Trudeau did? Justin Trudeau decided to go about in blackface. See, it's really not about the 
about Joe Rogan. It's about you. It's about taking away your choices. It's about shaming you. It's about taking away the ability to pop open the narrative. It's about showing you we can take Joe Rogan down. If we could take down Joe Rogan, don't you think we can take you down? That's what this is about. There's one more word. I beg you today to take a pledge to never, ever use again. And this would be a lead into the next hour. We talk about this crack in the matrix and our opportunity. And in fact, our moral, we're morally obligated to walk through this opportunity. The crack in the matrix. Hey, if these are the sort of programs you enjoy, you find them useful, would you do me a favor and share these with your friends? Just take this program, share it specifically, write a few lines about why you like it, and think of 10 friends who could who could benefit from this. Particularly if they were fans of the great, dearly departed uh, El Rushbo, God rest him. By the way, the, um, the anniversary of the death of the greatest talk radio host who ever lived is this month. And I will be sharing with you this month, I'll be doing a program about what it was like to host the show the day after the greatest talk show host in history died. And for the first time, I'm going to share with people the actual show rundown we used that day. So you'll see the actual document that we used on the day that Rush died to host the show. It had a whole bunch. Well, it no, I don't want to say a whole bunch. It was the first time ever that team EIB really just took over what was going to be in the program and absolutely correctly. You know, they, 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 and I was so touched by this. They, they adopted me into the family and said, no, no, quit saying team AIB. You're part of team EIB. And they did that with, with Ken and, and Mark and, and the other great, great guide hosts. But it's coming up on a year since we missed the Maha, since the Maha died. And I firmly believe the Maha went to heaven. Let me ask you a question. Has his importance to you diminished? Has his influence on you diminished? Because it's not for me, it has grown. In Russia's absence, his presence is larger. Because I missed the opportunity to tune in or to go to his app and listen to him make sense of the nonsense. I can't believe it's nearly a year since we lost the Maha. So if you know people who heard me guide host for Raj or guest host all those years, and you like this segment, this episode, send it to 10 friends. And say, by the way, this guy's a podcast and he's trying to grow it. He's put God at the center and politics at the edges. We have a goal to grow this podcast 10x the size that it is today. That is enormous. And it will require God and require us working together. We're going to talk in the next hour about the, the matrix, the crack in the matrix. We have an opportunity to save young people from falling victims to the party. And by that, we have an opportunity to save America. And by that, we have an opportunity to save souls. I'm going to tell you about one more word I beg us to stop using, but not before I get to the word of God. 
So much of what goes on, in fact, everything that goes on these days is explainable if we go back to the word of God. The word I'm going to tell you about is, in fact, nonsense. It's utter nonsense, and yet it's accepted as some kind of fact when it's not. This is from Job. Job is a very confusing to many people book of the Bible. In the story of Job, one of God's faithful servants is befallen with tragedy after tragedy. And what we learn is in the background, Satan has said to the Lord, yeah, this guy Job, is he's really, really good and, and he follows your word. But what would happen if you took away everything? And God said, I'm not going to take away everything. You can do that. You can't touch his person. But God allowed that. And it was Satan's contention. Oh, yeah, Job's going to run from you. He's going to hate you. He's going to turn his back on you. Well, he didn't. Even his wife told him, Job, just just roll up and die and curse God and die. No. And this is from Job 12, 20 through to 25. As we go through and think about the dynamics of today, the language they're trying to get us to speak. My name is Elizabeth Cronk Warner and I'm a racist. The things they're trying to get us to say. The things they've successfully gotten us to mouth. The, the, the topics that are verboten. You can't talk about election integrity. Look, guys, I can tell you right now, there are talk show hosts who are not allowed to say the election is stolen. They're not allowed to suggest it was stolen. I'm telling you, in the world of commercial radio, there are talk show hosts who are not allowed to say, I think the election was stolen. In fact, they're not even supposed to talk about being rigged. In conservative radio, that's a fact. I know people who work under those circumstances. This is Job 20 through 25. No, pardon me, Job 12, 20 through 25. He reveals the deep things, talking about the Lord. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason, makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. The Bible is talking here about the dynamic in which we exist today, where people speak utter nonsense. Do you see them stagger like drunkards? And if you'd like to make an argument for the accuracy of the Bible about these times, you can go back to the to to Daniel's prophecies about or you know, pardon me, Isaiah's prophecies about Babylon. In the Bible, Isaiah 13:1 says, "The burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw." At the time of Isaiah's prediction, Babylon was one of the largest and most important cities in the world. This is what God told Isaiah would happen to Babylon. This these notes are from ucg.org, they're in the show notes and Substack. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, who will not regard silver or as for gold, they will not delight in it. Also their bowls will dash the young men to pieces and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children and Babylon, the glory of the kingdom, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Abrian, um, Abrian pitch the tent there, nor will the shepherds make their sheep folds there. Isaiah claimed that God told him that Babylon would be permanently destroyed, and guess what happened? It happened. 
and you can go right back through the prophecies of Isaiah. You can go through the prophecies of other biblical prophets who predicted events like this and with, with countries that weren't even countries. They foresaw this in the far future, not just in Isaiah's lifetime, but 600 years outside of his lifetime. He predicted these things. And we're seeing the signs of leaders thrown into darkness, staggering like drunkards. There's one more word I beg you to stop saying because it goes to the heart of the lies of the party. Same actors, different stage. Next hour, I'll expand on why I beg you to stop using the word transgender. And I'll give you some alternatives you could use. If you use that word, you are in fact denying God's design. You are in fact enabling the party. You are in fact enriching Pfizer. You are, in fact, hastening the downfall of the United States of America. I'm not blaming people who are truly gender dysphoric. I am not blaming kids who've been conned into believing they're born in the wrong body. I am not blaming people who are gender defiant and simply hate the body they have. I'm telling you that using the word transgender is aiding the party in destroying the country. And in my judgment, it's aiding the enemy in destroying people's concept of God. I once heard this about people's concept of God. Someone told me, you know, the problem I have with the church is when I was attending I was a drunkard myself. I was an alcoholic and a loser. And they never kicked me out of the church. If the church lets alcoholics and losers in it, how can it help anybody? And my answer to this, if the church didn't let troubled people in, (laughs) there would be no people there. Christians have done a fairly bad job at starting with the log in their own eyes. Probably I'm most to blame about that. Well, in my family. Coming up, the crack in the matrix. This is the Todd Herman Show. Go be well, be strong, be kind, and absolutely be right with God.